But basically, my summary is some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking <laughs> it's a simple adventure story. <laughs> Others can read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. I think I can watch a movie that is just pop culture nostalgia wrapped in like a somewhat coming of age tale and walk away feeling like I had a meaningful time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 497 with a review of Ready Player One. I am Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we have a huge release to talk about the latest film from Steven Spielberg, Ready Player One. Um, in this story, there is this online experience called The Oasis you can tap into and go, Stephen Miller, if the Oasis was real, this boundless entity of places you can go anywhere in the world, what would you do with your ability to dive into the Oasis? So I need to ask, what are the rules in this, like, <laughs> this Oasis? Can I, am I super powered? Can I do anything? Or I'm, I'm just a human and the boundlessness is that, like... I mean, you saw the movie, right? Like, right, right, right. basically, all video games exist there. There are the shared spaces where you can go and be anything you want. Um, basically, stick to the rules of the movie, I guess. But, but essentially, what would you spend your t- like? Would you even care about the Oasis, or would you sort of? Are there certain things? Would you want to go run around as a zergling? And <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it, it's a good question. I'm I'm a little caught off guard. Uh, I I feel like maybe the movie just incepted me, but I think. Driving recklessly in the real world is a real bad idea, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's not very many safe places you can do it. Like, bumper cart places aren't that fun. Go karts like don't last long enough. So I feel like <laughs> if you really had giant epic races as Ready Player One does, and I could just get in a car and trash it, and presumably it would take a lot for me to actually zero out. Like, I could really do damage and like <laughs> go real fast and basically do uh, like Grand Theft Auto IRL. I'd I'd be down for that. I think I'd go nice. racing. What about you? Yeah, so like basically burnout, the burnout games, but that's what you'd spend all your time in the Oasis yeah. doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'd probably want to do more uh, like fantasy world type of stuff, you know, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons style, kind of like go in there. I, I want to be like a rogue and just diving around, darting back and forth, and just slashing some people up. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I would think. I would but don't do. it's just I was thinking about that, but don't you feel like assume that like zeroing out really has consequence and we don't need to get in the movie yet but yeah, yeah. if it does don't you think because i was imagining fighting too but don't you think fighting would be kind of like scary in a not fun way <laughs> if the consequences are so dire for well, you not dodging a thing correctly so one of the things the movie may do poorly <laughs> once again not getting too far into the movie is it is it it hints at the fact that there are certain zones and certain games that allow, that that zeroing out is a thing, mm. and there are other places where it's more friendly. Um, respawn as much as you need to, just competitive from the standpoint of your skill versus competitive from the standpoint of like permadeath. Um, so I think I think it's safe to say that there are places you can go without zeroing out and have fun. I, I see, I see. Okay, so I, you I, could I, fight I, in like a safe space where zeroing out wouldn't like destroy your life. Correct. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, like your your entire bank account isn't writing on you. I, not I changed being my answer. I want to fight with lightsabers. <laughs> okay. been, my nice. my life goal has been to fight with lightsabers. <laughs> 
you know, you can do that now. There are whole clubs like <laughs> that but you can like go to. the mechanics don't work right. Like yeah, I, I get like I was stick fighting on a trampoline as a kid. I know how it feels, <laughs> but anyway, number two goal was to start a podcast. So I'm up there. I'm getting <laughs> how are you close. still alive? Stick fighting on a trampoline. I mean, I was stick fighting too, and I almost lost an eye. Yeah, like, you fighting see with the PVC other kids. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying that trampoline adds like a level of difficulty that you don't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if you're fine fighting and not backflipping, that's cool. <laughs> Some of us want to do backflips. All right. Well, on that note, let's get into our review of Ready Player One. We're going to take a listen to the trailer and then come back and give you that review. Come with me. This is the Oasis. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. I'm here talking to all of you now because our future's being threatened. I just came here to escape. But I found something much bigger than myself. I found my friends. I found love. And now, people have lost their lives. No, 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 no. This is war. We're in control of the future. Find him. Welcome to the rebellion, Wade. Anyone who you are, you can't use your real name. Hold on to something. This isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. What's going on? The practice in my Mario Kart. Ask yourself, are you willing to fight? Alright, so that was the trailer for Ready Player One. It takes place in the near future, and basically there's a system called the Oasis. It's a whole uh, system universe of games where like people are dialed into it. Um, it seems to be heavily implied that some people actually do their job while logged into the, the Oasis, that people are sort of uh, Summer War style, kind of like just logging in, doing their... Um, their, uh, their, their, their whatever job they do remotely through this telepresence system using the Oasis as their sort of conduit. Um, the creator of the system has passed away, and in his sort of digital will, he has uh, left these challenges that can be pl- completed within somewhere in the Oasis that if you complete all three challenges, get all three keys, that, and find this Easter egg, you will become the owner of the Oasis. And basically, there's a bad organization called IOI that is literally paying people to help them as a corporation find this Easter egg and uh, take control of the Oasis. And our hero of the story has to team up with some friends to try to pass all three challenges before the bad guys do so that the good people can win and the bad people cannot. (laughs) Stephen Miller, what did you think of Ready Player One? Okay, so since we're on a nostalgia trip... I'll, uh, I'll describe the rest of my weekend has largely been spent watching Dawson's Creek for the first time. 
And a big aspect of at least the first season of Dawson's Creek, when we meet the character of Dawson, is that he's obsessed with film, and in particular, he's obsessed with Spielberg. Yeah. There's like a Spielberg reference in every episode. He's watching E.T., he's talking about Jurassic Park. It, it, it's like all Spielberg, and he's very kind of wide-eyed and into it. And I think this movie is about Spielberg being obsessed with every other movie. And it, <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because it has that same kind of wide-eyed, semi-infectious feeling where on one level, I I think this is a kind of dumb movie. Like, like I don't think this movie goes particularly deep. I don't think it's, like, amazingly well-crafted in its plot or character growth, which we'll get into in a bit. But, but there is something very infectious about that nostalgia and about that obsession for for past film, for games, for the uh, the pop culture of childhood that I, I really liked about this movie. And I think this is a good showcase of the kind of Spielberg emotions where it's more about how can I make you feel something sweeping and something that's going to kind of move you in in broad strokes in like a reasonably compact time frame. Like, I think this movie delivers on it. it, it it's fun. It, this is a fun movie. It isn't a perfect movie. I think... If I had read the book, I would probably like it less because I I imagine the book must go into details that this movie doesn't at all. Like the, the plot yeah. of this movie is very, very, very rapid paced. It doesn't allow room for pretty much anything, right? Like the, this movie is kind of based around one big contest and it has a few main characters at the center. I barely even remember the names of the characters, to be honest <laughs> with you, because the movie doesn't spend any time really building the friendships or the relationships that like... Presumably, the book is all about. Yeah. Um, with that said, I think Ty Sheridan and Olivia Cook are both very charming stars. I, I love their presences in this movie. I, I really also like Mark Rylance as the kind of uh, <laughs> just crazy cloudy. Guy. Yeah, he, he's Josh Gad in the internship. He's, <laughs> spoilers for the internship. He's a guy who he's just like kind of spacey and introverted, and he's really good at one thing, and he's not good at many other things. And like, I, I think he nails that role well here. It, Yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. It, it's like a visually exciting movie. I like the expansiveness of the world. I love that the moment you're thrust into it, you know pretty much anything could happen in this movie. And while I don't think it delivers on the coolest of any things you could have delivered <laughs> with this premise, I, I had a good time. I, I had a nice time watching this movie. So... It, I, I think Spielberg pulled it off. I think he got he got the sentiment, the nostalgia factor that he was looking for, and he made it be like a tight enough film that kids would like it and adults aren't going to mind it very much. So whatever. I, I, I thought of this kind of like <laughs> kind of like Super 8, right? Super 8 was a movie that while I was watching it, I was really into because it gave me that feeling of a person who was raised on movies wanting to create an homage to that thing. And, like, now ask me what the hell happened in Super 8. I can't tell you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the hell that movie was about now. But for the moment of two hours watching it, it was an infectious good time. And that, that's pretty much what this movie worked out for, for you me. Make, you make me sad, Stephen. <laughs> Super 8 is a beautiful film. Uh, your job is now to go home after we're done recording, after we eat dinner. <laughs> yeah. And go watch that movie. Yeah, again. that's not going to happen. We, we've already booked... Six movies tonight alone in the next week that we're going to have to watch. But I mean, to be fair, a day ago, we both watched a movie that is every movie that's ever been made. Yeah, that's true. So, so I mean, it, it really bounces the scale out. Yeah, so Ready Player One is a big spectacle film, um, and it's impossible to take that away from it, right? Like, this is a film that knows that what it's going to do is just 
assault your senses with so much stuff that you're going to need to see this movie like 30 times just to be able to catch every little tiny like there were scenes where it's like I don't even know what's happening in the story because I was looking in the background at like whatever character from whatever property was popping up and doing its thing yeah and uh yeah it's it's hard for me to know without obviously like reading a bunch of articles or hearing interviews from Spielberg himself like how much of this film is him and how much of this film is all right uh, 3D Team 1, your direction is there is just crazy shit happening. Go hog wild. You and own enjoy all yourself. the IP in the universe. Yeah, yeah. Like, imagine we just have uh, Car Blanche to just like freaking permission up the wazoo to just put anything we can on the screen. Go for it. Um, and it kind of feels that like, some of the effects team are just like, oh, I really like Overwatch, so I'm just gonna like every chance I get, be, put Tracer in there and just have her darting around and teleporting. Like there, there's things where it's like there's there's no there's no sense to it necessarily, um, and, and that's not a complaint. It's just like there's so much happening that it's like this is a film to be seen on the big screen and just kind of watch it. And you can't even turn off because if you turn off, you will just pass out. <laughs> like you have to keep your mind going long enough just to absorb everything that's happening. And then you have like the, the, the smaller, softer beats in between. And I think that it's just this is a very strange film because it's a film about homaging, but it seems like it is a film that doesn't understand the year it's coming out in. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm. Carson, Patrick, just turn off the podcast right now. You can you can walk away because <laughs> you're going to be angry with me. Um, but so, like, early at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about zeroing out, right? This is the thing where, like, people are sinking their whole life savings in what is essentially gambling in video games where you can wager that you will be able to beat other people and then you can earn untold fortunes playing these games or lose your entire savings. Mm-hmm. Like, we're in the middle of people trying to put into legislation now to legislate the loot box systems in video games today because they're gambling and little children are participating in gambling and and like there's all this stuff coming out like this is a big thing that is happening now presently when this film is coming out right we have uh we have um we have like the whole Facebook thing that's happening, right? Where like Facebook is like controlling all of our lives, like every aspect of our life. Like people are trying to quit Facebook right now and then they're realizing that 200 other services all use Facebook as the login for it. Like this is the thing that people are dealing with daily now. Facebook owns Oculus. <laughs> I have one at my house. Like there, there, there are these connections to the system of like, oh, what if there's a thing where my entire life was controlled by this one headset that I put on and log into and now a corporation even like that is evil is trying to gain control over that to control like it's it just there there are things that this film chooses not to even be aware of which seems weird to me like their only aware of thing is one scene where there's a joke where um uh what's the what's the bad guy's the actor's name ben mendelson ben mendelson um the uh where ben there's a scene where ben mendelson is like hey if we take control of the oasis, uh, we could we could advertise on ninety percent of a person's viewpoint before it's like, we give them seizures. Yeah, yeah, before we give them seizures, and it's like that's I guess a funny joke, but like people try to do that. But player, like this isn't aware that like people would not stand. For, it's, it, I don't know. There's there, there a bunch of things that this film is just has no clue that it's like dealing with like that are rea- realities today. And it's kind of it, it makes me sad that while they're trying to update it from being like 80s nostalgia to being like 90s nostalgia, that they don't also try to make the present facts of the world as part of this film. Um, that there's no there's no commentary on 
us being dialed into systems constantly every day or losing ourselves to video games. Like people say people like there are people right now making livings, streaming, playing video games all the time. Right. And people are like, oh, that's crazy. But like this is a film that is dealing with that as a subject matter, but has no clue. Like it, it doesn't feel like they know anything about that. Um, it's also a story that should be about people being really good at, <laughs> at the video games. And that's how they pass all the challenges. And this film seems like the spectacle of what you're watching takes precedence over how good the people are at playing games. Like, I never feel that lead character is actually good at anything. Um, well, sure. I think at the very least, the first challenge is a wild, like, cheat code, right? There, there, there's nothing in most of the challenges that would make you believe he is better than average at these things. Yeah, yeah. But it's like... I don't know. I, I feel like this film starts establishing rules and then ignores those rules and sort of like this. This is a guy, the, the Mark Rylance's character was a guy who loved games and loved playing in worlds and hated rules and created a puzzle that requires people that are like him to pass it like this. The one thing it homages to an almost obnoxious level without actually expressly stating it is uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this film is that, right? Like he, like Rylance's character of, um, what is the character's name? Asks the guy who read the book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, James Halliday. Yeah. Halliday, the character of Halliday, like is looking for his Charlie to take over (laughs) the chocolate factory. Right. Um, So it's like, it requires a boy that is not just somebody who read a bunch of things and knows a lot of trivia. It's like somebody who is the essence of what he was. And I feel that like our lead character and any of the characters, really, we don't have enough time to know that, that they are like that. Right. And I feel like that's sort of, I don't know, like this wants to be a story about love of gaming and love of these experiences and love of escape from the real world and love of people. And I feel like in a surprising twist in a Spielberg film, he doesn't get that right. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like in, in, in the books, there's a lot of time where these characters have been playing together for a long time and they build up that relationship and you believe their connections and the things they're going through. And I feel on this, they're all sort of separate except for Parzival and H. Um, like they're together at the beginning of the film. But besides that, like they haven't even met Art- Artemis for real, right? They watch her streams and stuff like that, but they have no idea who she is. They've never talked to her until this one moment where he does a thing during a race, right? right. <laughs> and I feel that this story doesn't... I don't know. There, it, something feels off about it. I mean, many, many years ago in another life, I met a bunch of people across the country playing Halo 2. And it was like, I built these friendships over the the length of when that game was being played. I met a girl who I started dating through that. She is now your wife. (laughs) She is not my wife. (laughs) I don't have a wife. (laughs) Uh, But it, but like this is, it was, it was like, we played a game, we enjoyed one night and then we all started playing regularly. And then we all met up several times um, just because we're like, we're real world friends now. And this story is about that, mm-hmm. right? Building meaningful connections with other people who you wouldn't have known outside of the Oasis. And then now you are literally fighting for your lives to take on some, I mean, obviously as Halo players, we weren't fighting for our lives or trying to take on evil corporations, but it's just, this story is that like build bonds, fight against a power that is evil 
for to gain control of a thing that you love and and keep that strong and i feel like this film doesn't do that well mm. <laughs> right i mean this film goes like yada 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 five years now this race happens now these next two challenges happen end of movie and i feel that in, in, in the book too like those five years those people are together during that time building that relationship like there, there's a scene where it's in the trailer where parzival stands up on a hill and he yells first to the key and everybody else is like fuck yeah let's blow shit up we gotta get behind this guy nobody knows who he is other than his name is on the leaderboard right like he mm -hmm. doesn't have those friendships like he doesn't have the ability to get people to log on for this big moment because he's just a name on a board and like yeah i don't know i, I there's something there's something missing from this story that makes me so I, I don't i don't disagree with you i think so two fundamental differences maybe in the way we saw it one is like you of course saw it as a person who read the book and you're not leaning hard on the book but i do think the book might have revealed to you what is important about this movie needing to express in a way that i don't think the movie on its own really shouts for for instance like you're totally right. This movie doesn't appear to know that the world we're living in now is starting to get somewhat close or reminiscent to the world that it's talking about. To me, that didn't even register. Like, this movie is an escapist film right out of the gate. And, like, that is fine. Nothing about this movie to me cried that it needed to have, like, a knowing understanding of current day realities about the way we interact online. Yeah, that, yeah. To, to me, that feels like just a totally separate universe. Maybe it could have handled that well, but I didn't even feel that it didn't do that. Yeah. But but the other difference in our viewpoint, I think, is that you are coming at this as someone who has had a history in gaming, right? Like you've, I, I've obviously played video games, but I've never derived that much from them. Like I've never really met someone through online games before. I've yeah. never, except for like the stray LAN party when I was in seventh grade, maybe. I, I never really <laughs> had a big life built around what games can mean for people or yeah. like what it means to have to join together to overcome something through video games so for me like it's completely true when you mention that that is a big part of this movie that is like arguably what the movie should be selling yeah. but i walked away from the movie feeling like it is selling a love of film and pop culture and our shared upbringing and not a love of gaming for the most part and I don't exactly know why that is, but to me, that is what the movie leans heavily on. Like, the the longest homage in this movie, there's, like, a 10-minute sequence homaging just one thing. We can talk about it in spoilers, but it ain't a video game. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. most of the conversations characters have, most of the defining attributes of the Parsifal character are the movies he loves, like, the pop culture references he loves. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's driving in a DeLorean, and he's, like chatting back and forth with H and with uh, Artemis about like film quotes and the characters that they resemble and everything he seems to have derived as his personality in this world comes from that. Like, and to me, th this is a film about escapism and I think it, it lands the escapism well, just not in the way that you're looking for. I think what this completely nails is the feeling of a bunch of people, including this kid who have pretty much nothing in the real world to live for. Like, they live in a bad situation. Uh, his family has been besought by tragedy. Honestly, if the movie told me what it was, I didn't even pick up on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember how that tragedy happens. Yeah. I just... And I, in fact, there, there's... 
the world's dumbest line in this movie happens and it i had completely forgotten what his family's situation was until there's a scene in the movie where he yells a line i'll just i'll just bleep it out so i can say it to you what he goes (laughs) 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 it was the dumbest line I've yeah. ever heard. Uh, I, I saw the movie with Julius, and he and I just like looked at each other, like what? <laughs> and anyway, I think there is a real escapism to this, and a movie I kind of want to compare it to is in the beginning when Zootopia first opens. the The thrill of that movie is realizing that there's this big world out there. Like when the train is coming in, and uh, the lead character, the bunny she realizes that she's about to be in this big city where anything is possible. Yeah. And she isn't going to be confined to whatever her status as a bunny on a farm was. She can now be whatever she wants to be. Yeah. And I think this movie communicated that very nicely. Like, like I had that feeling running through me the whole time. And it's kind of a little coming-of-age film where the character of Watts is going through the motions of coming out of his shell and this thing that he loved in the virtual world is becoming a thing in the real world. Like he's meeting people, he's finding romance, rather rushed romance, but he's still <laughs> yeah. finding it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's finding like meaning and a voice. And I, I, I think this movie did that nicely. I, I think it suffers a lot. I think we might as well in criticisms, just go to spoilers rather than try to like dance around the many ways, like the plot moves in a very odd pace and doesn't like, there are certain events in this movie that should mean a lot that like basically don't get any weight at yeah, all. Yeah. Um, and there's also scenes where like something crazy happens and in the next scene a character could just say what previously happened to get everybody on their side, but instead they're like, But no, we gotta do stuff together. Yeah. And like all they have to do is go like, This just happened. Mm-hmm. But basically my summary is some people can read War and Peace and come away thinking <laughs> it's a simple adventure story. <laughs> Others can read the ingredients on a chewing gum wrapper and unlock the secrets of the universe. I think I can watch a movie that is just pop culture nostalgia wrapped in like a somewhat coming of age tale and walk away feeling like I had a meaningful time. And that, like, that, like that's what I got here. I don't think this movie is giving me a lot of depth, yeah. but it, the bigness of this movie, right? Like the muchness of it, there's just so much going on. And I think this is about being being a kid in that world, like being awed by how much stuff <laughs> there is. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this film communicated that nicely no, it, it, at the expense of virtually everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so it does do that nicely. And it, it's funny because there are bits of, you can tell that like the script writer had ideas of world building that like don't get enough time to be fleshed out. But like they talk about the difference between licensed IP things and other things. Like Parzival's character isn't from anything. He's just the way he makes himself look. But like when he first meets, um, when he first uh, meets Artemis, Artemis, (laughs) sorry, her name just fell out of my head. Uh, When he first meets Artemis, like they're like, Oh dude, that's the, that's the, the, the bike from Akira, right? Like they're, they, and, and like he's, specifically calls it out has been like dude she has like this licensed ip piece that she's using much like his delorean was clearly licensed ip and that's Mm -hmm. something that you have to build towards and get in the game you know like when i play rocket league sometimes i like i paid 
three dollars or whatever so that I could play with a DeLorean because I think that's badass, right? Even though that car does not work as well as the other cars do. But anyways, <laughs> it's like a thing where like I, I, I like those moments. And because there's the mixing and there's like you can appear as whatever you want from any genre, any medium, like whatever you're doing. So it's it's one of those rare films where the effects can look worse in some areas than others, and it's totally fine because they look worse because they come from a property where the effects look like that, right? Like everything doesn't have to match perfectly because some of them are from different places and different styles and different art art uh, yeah, art styles. Like so, it, there was something interesting about kind of blending everything together in a not perfectly cohesive way because people are choosing to look exactly like the way that thing looks where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something really fun about that. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, just, just saying that it was, it was cool. So that, I agree that the visual style is MySpace, not Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it was that like, that was fun to watch. And, and I had, I had fun with the film in general. I think that there was some really, really interesting things they were doing. Uh, but yeah, cool. definitely, definitely some nits to pick though. <laughs> I, I think the the Willy Wonka comparison is apt. Of course, the film is shouting it, as you said. Um, I mean, the teaser trailer even had the. Uh, uh, there's no life I know that can compare to you know the the, mm. the, 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 the Willy Wonka song. Okay, so so they leaned into it. Yeah, they, they leaned into it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't know how much they were going to lean lean into it. Like, we'll get to it in spoilers, but this movie's straight up Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Sure, but the. The themes that this movie wants to impart are, I would say, like, actually relevant to today. The the big thrust of this movie is look at how people can escape into a big thing and forget the troubles of their day-to-day life. And that can be great, but that can also be toxic. Try bringing some of that into the real world balance it like balance both at the same time and you're going to be happier and i think that is like a message very tailored to today's generation particularly young people well i mean it's it's sort of weird that they kind of throw that message into the end like uh like (laughs) i mean uh, i don't know how spoiler it can get but let's just say that like the, the film does beat over your head the idea that like maybe you should unplug your video games and go outside like a couple times a week (laughs) Like, I thought that was kind of silly in context with, like, what the Oasis is, but that's fine. Sure. I I thought it was sweet. (laughs) Whatever. Let's get to verdicts and then do spoilers. All right. So, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give this a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or must avoid, what would you give it? I'm giving recommend with a caveat. I think this is a, a flawed movie. I think when you go back and think over the plot arc, you're going to find that... It rushed some things that didn't need to be rushed. It didn't fully develop characters or develop the feelings it was going for. But I think the the overwhelming sensation that Spielberg is trying to beat into your head is one of awe and excitement and hearkening back to the time when you could be like filled with wonder. You could be wide-eyed by things. And wide-eyed means fun, and wide-eyed also means stupid. <laughs> and this movie is both of those things. And... <laughs> For me, that was enough. I saw this on a big screen in 3D. I had fun with it. I think very few people are going to be angry that they saw this movie. You might be disappointed if you were building it up to be something more. But given my very low bar going into this <laughs> film, I, I was like pleasantly surprised by how how nice it was. I was completely happy with it. And to, to be fair, I feel like you were also a little bit uh, groaning 
at the existence of this movie in the weeks leading up to it. Like you, oh, were, yeah. you were just like tired of seeing the trailer and like not expecting much from it. Yeah, so. I, I was ragging on this movie, but it, it it won me over. I think it has a a good soul. I think its heart is in the right place, <laughs> and it it makes you want to root for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I still recommend it, even with my my nits to pick. Uh, I I think it's a big spectacle film, and I think you should see it in theaters if you're going to see it all. Like because it's 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 big and crazy and. It's worth seeing there. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I still recommend it. Uh, personally, I think that it's 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 missing so many things that could just make it feel like it knows what it's doing. Um, and I think that it, it's sort of it's telling one story, and I think we live in a world where that story is bigger than than the film knows it could be. Um, and yeah, I think I think just it having to exist as a shorthand of the story it's trying to tell hurts it a little bit, um, but it's still fun. Still enjoyable. I still want the Oasis. I almost, I almost dusted off my Oculus <laughs> today and dove in for a little VR before coming in. Um, but, uh, but yeah. So, so there you go. So we're gonna close this episode out, um, and then once we do that, uh, the music will fade up, and then when it fades out, we will be in spoilers. So, in the meantime, Stephen Miller, where can people find you throughout the week? If people want to find me, they can go to twitter.com/sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. You can subscribe to us in Overcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. Uh, <laughs> if you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack from Ready Player One, so hopefully you are enjoying that right now. That music is about to fade up, and when it comes back, we will be we'll be in full-blown spoilers, so if you're not prepared, you'll totally get zeroed out. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I'm taking the coins. Hell yeah. All right, so we are back. This is spoiler territory, the after part for our review of Ready Player One. All limits are off. We are talking full-blown spoilers for Ready Player One. Steven, do you have anything to start us off, or do you want me to just I'll, I'll, I'll start with, things? to me, what was the most glaringly odd plot beat in the movie, which is Watts' aunt, her house explodes. Presumably she dies. Immediately in the next scene, he's just flirting with Olivia Cook. <laughs> they yeah. never go back to it except when he shouts at Ben Mendelsohn, hey, you killed my mom's sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is fucking ridiculous because, so first of all, like, it, it, the welcome to the rebellion thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm pretty sure the book didn't have, like, a whole rebellion force where they were teaming up and, like, had their own special machines and everybody was getting supplies and feeding each other. Like, this is just a bunch of kids taking on the baddies. Mm-hmm. And also, one of the two kids, the uh, the samurai character guys, their friends, one of them straight up just gets thrown out a fucking window and murdered. And part of how uh, Wade Watts is able to rally the troops towards that big fight where they're attacking the thing is that he hacks into their system and finds the footage and broadcasts it and shows everybody what IOI is doing. So, like, mm. there's a lot of things that the book does that, like, 
makes more sense where people are like, hey, crazy shit is happening. Can we please help each other out because we're all going to (laughs) die? Right. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So so this movie does not do a good job at all at telling like the real world story that would motivate everyone to rally behind him. Yeah. Yeah. But it it also. uh, Fuck. Um, (laughs) Mark Rylance's characters. Halliday. Halliday's friend. (laughs) Who's the other Halliday? The other guy. Halliday. Shit. Fucking this up. Now Simon Pegg's character. Uh, Morrow. Sure. <laughs> so he basically gives them safe harbor in the book. Like once everything starts to go super crazy, he like pulls them out, gives them cool things to log into the Oasis and, and mm. do all the shit they need to. Um, but that's beyond the point. Um, so yeah, so so you want me to just go for some things? Yeah, now? go for it. <laughs> okay, so let's go to the, the Willy Wonka aspect of this, right? Sure. Like it's weird that like all the other homaging they do is completely overt and like I'm calling out this property, and this film is like, mm, is it going to be weird if we talk about Willy Wonka a lot? And then we literally set up the Willy Wonka Slugworth like relationship where it's like Simon Pegg is supposed to potentially be sort of – he's not a villain so much as a person who had competing ideas about what to do with the Oasis. Mm-hmm. And like, there's even the scene where he's like, oh, no, this is the part where you sold over all your rights to him. Mm-hmm. This is the mistake you made. You gave all your shit to Slugworth. And, like, now Slugworth has the everlasting gobstopper formula, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, the whole thing at the end comes down to this idea of, like, are you going to take the gobstopper or are you going to leave it on my desk so I know that you're the chosen one? Right. (laughs) And it was just so, like, it felt so weird to be, like, like, partway through the movie I was like, this is getting really really Willy Wonka-y, but it's why are they not outright homaging it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it just felt weird that they're like, okay, we understand that we're doing it. We're gonna sweep away any reference to this and hope nobody makes this comp- like it. Just it, it I, feels am, weird. I imagine a subtext where Halliday was a Willy Wonka fan. <laughs> it did seem weird though, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sure, but I, I still liked it. Like I I I enjoy the the emotional arc of Willy Wonka, and I think for for the character of Watts, that moment is a big one when he decides not to sign the piece of paper, and yeah, yeah. it it worked for me. I don't. I don't understand why the crowd watching cares so much. I don't. I don't know why they've been invested in him succeeding. Um, but, but I, I got that moment. It, it, and in general, by the way, all of the, uh, the Halliday kind of going through his memory and having regrets about the way that he treated people or the things he did or didn't do, lo- love that stuff. To me, that's like yeah. that's Groundhog Day. <laughs> There's all sorts of nice romantic inclinations that this movie gets right, and I think. I, I don't know if the book does the same, but I liked how much the film focuses on Halliday's real life and that being the thing they need to crack rather than gameplay mechanics being the thing that they need to master. Yeah, and I think – so in the book, I I think they do focus more on gameplay mechanics in the mm. book. Uh, that's what I remember. That's at least – that could have been how I was reading it. Like even with, with the archives, uh, Halliday's journals, I – in my head, while reading the book, they were just journals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they might have been digital journals. But, like, in this, it was like, he did, he recorded video from every single moment of his life. I'm like, sure, fine, cool. Um, I mean, it, it didn't bother me. I'm just saying, that, like, like, it's clear that there are things that when I read it, I'm picturing my own world. And then the movie, like, I like that, that it was like, oh, it's literally, like, a minority report video that he can yeah. just scrub through and, like, zoom in and, like, re... Like, the camera's shot from one angle, but he can sort of do the manipulation to go around and see whatever he needs to about that scene. I, I really love that in that scene, he's trying to walk away, and it's almost like Halliday's looking directly at him. He's like, 
wish we could just go backwards really, really fast. <laughs> like, I thought that was cool. And then he runs back and plays it. And it wasn't, he was looking at something. Like, there, there was nice touches where it's like, oh, is he speaking directly to me? Go back, watch it again. No, he's not. But also, that is the yeah, clue. It's kind of like the Harry Potter pensive thing. Like, getting to dive into memories and move around and look at them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, 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 I enjoyed that. Like, those are the things that they brought to the story that I really, really loved. Like, mm-hmm. they were really fun. Um, and I thought that was a, those clever things to do. Um, I do, I do, I do think this story just gets money though. I mean, even with, so we have the the second clue. So, so at the end of the film, he has that little dialogue with uh, Simon Pegg where he's like, he's like, oh, she, it, she wasn't the the real thing. It was you and your friendship, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he makes that point, like oh, the whole time it was really just you two who were the important key, or you were the important key. The problem is the second challenge, she was the important yeah. key, right? So you can't just extrapolate. Like, Halliday makes the challenge based on what the real key is, and it happens to be the, the guy that apparently his business partner married sure. <laughs> later on in life. So it's, it's weird that it wants to have its own, like... But, but maybe maybe the jealousy is what drove him apart from Simon Pegg's character. Yeah, And yeah, he yeah. regrets all of that. Yeah, so that's this, is tally, this is tracing the narrative of how their friendship fell apart. Yeah, yeah it's fine. I just, I just don't like trying to like retcon <laughs> what Halliday's dying wish was, right? <laughs> like he set up his things and he's like, oh, well, I'm just going to rewrite history of this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. thought it was silly. <laughs> yeah. How did you feel, by the way, about, first of all, the 10 minute shining homage? Was that in the book? Was that the second challenge in no. the book, too? Okay. No, no. So that's all Spielberg just like loving the shining. Pretty sure. <laughs> so I, I, this is the one book that I didn't read like a week before the movie came out. This mm-hmm. is a book that I read a long time ago. So I don't, it's not all super fresh in my head, but I believe that all of the challenges were game related mm. and weren't um, these just their own story beats that were related to like they, they all, you all needed knowledge of Holiday's life and the things that he loved. But it also required some sort of game playing skill, mm-hmm. much like the third challenge in the film did. Yeah, yeah, because I I enjoyed that homage. Like I thought that was a lot of fun. It was getting to see a movie from a different perspective. It wasn't scary at all. I I don't really know that it would be scary to people who were playing it. But it was clearly like a thing that Spielberg was having fun with. Yeah. What I'm curious about is who is the target demo of this movie, and do they give a shit about The Shining? Like, am I the target demo? Or is it young people today? Because I don't think young people today like are going to be thrilled that an elevator opens and blood well, spills okay, out. So, so oh, that's the one thing I forgot to talk about before we went to spoilers. It's too late now, so I was talking about now. I had an amazing film-watching experience seeing this movie. Like, mm. It was opening night at the Draft House. Everyone there was just on board with everything. Like yeah. the film opens, first music cue, people clapped. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it was like, yes. Like everybody was fully on board when they would cut to like a shot of the door in the shining or like the elevator. Like everybody just was like, fuck, I know what's happening. Or like mm-hmm. uh Iron Giant giving the thumbs up. Like all these little things, like our audience just ate it up. They were all vibing on it. It felt really good. Nobody was a dick. I dropped my receipt tray on the ground during a very quiet moment. That was like the only disturbance in the whole theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but like it, it was just a really great experience of people who were loving being invested in the properties that were being shown. And mm-hmm. like our audience ate up the shining stuff. Like yeah. it was really cool. And it like when it first started, I was like, they're just compositing this into the movie shots, right? Like this isn't 
this isn't reproducing the sets. Like this, I, I can't this even is, tell. I, I'm pretty sure it's just straight up shining behind all the characters being composited in. Mm-hmm. I can't don't know that for sure, but it just felt like it was like I mean, obviously their own zombie naked lady had to be created for right. <laughs> for their purposes. But it seemed like a lot of those, like all the hallway shots and everything like that seemed like legit yeah. the real sh- the real shots until giant zombies with axes and stuff started appearing. <laughs> was that not in the shining? <laughs> Not the shining that I watched, um, but yeah, like I, I, I really like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a fan too. I also, I, I really enjoyed. To, to me, the movie hit the peak emotion that it was going for in the, the dance scene where they're trying to solve the second clue. Yeah, and um, Parsival, that's his yeah, name, Parcival. meets meets Artemis, and they're dancing for the first time. And there's this kind of banter that's going back and forth and they're touching each other and he's just got that full body suit. And there's some like risque jokes that get thrown in there. So so, so can we talk about this scene for a second? Yeah, sure. That is not a PG-13 scene. (laughs) That scene is straight up like, I was like, dude, some children are going to have to get the birds and bees talk when they get home. Like, I mean, maybe it's over their head, but I felt like that was like, that was some dirty, dirty dancing right there. Yeah, but you you don't think PG thirteen? I mean, I, I, obviously I'm being I, facetious. I thought it was fine, but to, I, I thought that captured kind of the level that a thirteen year old would be like invested in this, and it's kind of like a, a wish fulfillment moment of, wow, we could really meet in this online world, and it could be like, you know, exciting. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I thought that was done really well. I thought it felt exactly like what a teenager would be experiencing in that moment. Yeah, but I mean, I I also didn't buy that Artemis would just like touch him with her hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but would you? I don't know because this is all make believe, right? This is play pretend, and she's there's only touch going on in the sense that like a thing is vibrating or whatever in his hardware. It isn't like but she, but physically she, present. Yeah, but she's she's specifically trying to stimulate his genitals. Yeah, like yeah, it's, for it's a overtly second. sexual. Like it's I I, I don't want to sound like an old man here, but I just I just I think that like. Based on the fact that she's like, oh, I don't even want to hang out with you the scene before. And now because they're dancing and she's like teasing him because he has a full body touch mm-hmm. suit. Like it just felt out of character. That felt like fan service rather than. Uh, see, like, th- for me, it I felt did- like the disconnect that a person who is only living online would feel where her online character is confident and is like enticing and a little bit mysterious and she's like not afraid to go there and be big and make big gestures but she but, but she, her real life is completely quarantined and she doesn't want them to entangle at all but, but this is why i don't think that though is because in literally like 10 minutes earlier she was making statements like you don't even know me mm-hmm. and the only reason she even agreed to go on this sort of date is because she thought the clue was related to the first date that that uh, holiday went on. Right. I, so I just like, thought she was steering into it where this is kind of a fantasy and they're both playing adult or whatever in that scene. Maybe. I just I was I was just like, damn, she straight up just did that. <laughs> How did your audience reply? <laughs> I mean I the, nobody I, I don't know. It was it was quiet. <laughs> no and, uh, it, <laughs> and then you dropped your tray. I, I think I think people thought it was funny. because uh, yeah. it was funny, but I just it was like it was like all right, <laughs> I, I like that scene. It made me chuckle. No, no, it did. It did. I just, I just thought that was pretty. It was pretty. Like, I like that she went there. You know, because the only thing worse than being bad or evil <laughs> or cowardly is being indecisive. Is, is that a quote from the movie? 
<laughs> from thoroughbreds yeah okay okay gotcha yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> anyways yeah yeah so so if i can go back to one more spoilery nitpick there is this film doesn't seem to be aware of its own rules with regard to when your character is actually in danger or not um so if you've ever played like an MMO, you're logged into a system, and if you're out in the world where you can just be fighting people, you can't just hit a button and, and log out because that would be unfair because anytime somebody tries to attack you, you can just log out real fast and be safe. Um, so most games either have a, it'll put up a dialogue, it'll say something like, oh, you know, like you're on a 20 second cooldown, you'll log out at the end of those 20 seconds, and then you wait, and then you disappear. Um, so it makes sense that Parzival couldn't be in that race, uh, which is a challenge where you can be zeroed out, uh, and just pull off his helmet and exit the game world if he was about to crash his car, right? Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. But if you're in these uh, social zones, like a dance club, for instance, mm -hmm. you should be able to at any time. In fact, characters do, like when they're in uh, H's garage, and she's just like, I'll check you later, and derezzes, which, first of all, badass like yeah. that that just looks cool i was a fan of that um but yeah like you should just be able to pull off your headset and be free so like to me it doesn't seem like you would go to a club where you could be killed right mm -hmm. <laughs> like why would you just go to a club where people could kill you <laughs> that seems like it makes no sense mm -hmm. so like i there were just several situations where like they're in the game world and i don't feel that they should actually be in danger because they can just log out like why are they why does he have to use his Zemeckis cube, which is kind of funny, yeah. <laughs> to reverse time when he could just be like, cool, catch you later, log out, right? I, I don't disagree. I just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but, but You're I, completely right, obviously. <laughs> it just never occurred to me to, like, to worry about that. Yeah. I just, in, I, in, in my mind, in, in the game mechanics, zeroing out can happen anywhere and it is always a danger and the logout mechanism only happens like in that one instance yeah and i i didn't really think about like when it could be enacted and when it couldn't yeah so so the one other thing is let's let's throw that out and just acknowledge that zeroing out can happen anywhere even mm -hmm. if that's true w why would other players not be trying to kill parzival since he drops all his shit <laughs> Like, first of all, once he won that first race and he got like a trillion dollars or whatever he got, apparently, um, he is carrying both the keys, the all all the keys he catches at different times, plus all this money. If somebody just kills him, essentially, they get all his shit plus the keys. Right. Like, so that is a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> so the film seems to be not aware that like he like, they treated it as, like, oh, you're Parzival, yeah, you're on the board, yeah, high five, let me take a selfie with you. Um, but they don't seem to care about the fact that, like, yeah, or just maybe stab him a little yeah. <laughs> and then take all his shit. Take his trillion dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, that That seems to be a thing that, like, should be important to the story, but yeah. doesn't. In the book, it's more important. But. All right. Now, my question is, did you like the little Inception thing that they did? Before so, the third okay. challenge. This was the thing that... This is this is the main reason I wanted to have a spoiler conversation. The Inception thing is super awesome. Until... Until the moment, four seconds later, after I was like head bobbing, going like, fuck yeah. Where he goes, huh, did you see what I did here? I uh, hacked into his thing. <laughs> Set up a room to look like it. Like, he explains what he just did. And I don't know if that's for the children, because the children won't be able to figure it out. But, like, 
It was so badass. And then he just spent five minutes explaining what he did. And I was like, fuck you, movie. Yeah, I, I, I assumed it was for kids. But I mean, he built the GUI interface in Visual Basic. <laughs> That's a big deal. The kids need to know. Apparently. But yeah, that that, that really upset me because I was just like, oh, you did one of the coolest things you've done in this movie. And now you're just fucking explaining it away. See, I felt like if they didn't explain it, the Chris's of the world would be angry because they'd be like, how did you do that? But it's obvious what he did, right? Like, I, I don't care. Like, it's... Well, well, there's a question of how did he, like, intercept his feet or whatever and get the capability to do that. For one thing, the only thing I, I, I assume the password lying around mattered, but they, yeah. they didn't really specify, like, how they used the password or anything like well, that. Well, so the password gave him admin access to his chair, but basically they grabbed him as he was trying to log out. So mm-hmm. they either, like, presented him with some fake UI that was like, log out, and then change the world around him. Like... I'm fine that he said, yeah, we intercepted him as he was trying to log out. Mm-hmm. But besides that, you don't have to like, like, I can see that you're in a room that you created inside of H's lab. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, like you don't have to be like, we're currently right now in H's lab. This green stuff on the outside is what the digital world looks like. The inside that looks like his room is his room looking, but we programmed that. And he's in the chair, but he can't see us because we're behind him. So you... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't care. I don't care. You're right. You're right again, but it, I don't it care. Just I thought that was sad. badass. But, but that scene was great, though, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, my, my favorite line in the movie, this better have been an homage to Donald Trump, is when they said, like, be careful. These people could be anywhere. They could be a 300-pound gorilla living in their mom's basement. Isn't that who Trump said did the Russia thing? I, I think that's what Trump said might have done the hacking that we're blaming on the Russians. I don't think anybody knows it was Russia that broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, 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 but I don't, maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? Anyway. Nice. H was cool, by the way. Good reveal. Yeah, yeah. Don't care about the other kids. <laughs> the movie hasn't given me any reason to care about the other Fab Five or whatever yeah. they're called. You, you know what would make you care about them? If you saw him get thrown out a fucking window, that's true. Then you'd be like, "Oh, damn! Eleven-year-old ninja guy got mm-hmm. thrown out a window." But yeah, yeah, sad times. Should we zero out? We should zero out. <laughs> it occurred to me then that for the first time in as long as I could remember, I had absolutely no desire to log back into the oasis.